Matthew chapter 2. Try to finish out our time. I have been so blessed to be here. I told your pastor today at lunch that uh, I've had this happen twice in a row now where I've gone in a place that I did not know. Anybody when I came, and I really don't know a lot of you now that I'm leaving. I mean, I've got a few names here and there and uh, a couple of stories here or there, but but I really feel like God's allowed us to share something special here this week, and I'm, I'm grateful for that. Because it really, when it comes down to it, I don't have to know you and you don't have to know me, but if we know Christ and he gets us together, we can do something mutually. And I'm, I'm honored to be here this week. Thank you, Pastor. Thank you, Church, for your over-kindness to us. Uh, y'all are, are too good uh, to the people that come in, but I'm grateful that you have a heart to do so. Matthew chapter 2, I'm not going to read the entire uh, verses I have been. I'm going to stay a little more focused tonight as we do make a turn. I'll pick up in verse 10 where it said, When they saw the star, they rejoiced with exceeding great joy. When they were coming to the house, they saw the young child with Mary his mother and fell down and worshipped him. And when they'd opened their, I point out this word again tonight, and I will emphasize it more tonight. Open their what? Treasures. They presented unto him gifts, gold and frankincense and myrrh. And being warned of God in a dream that they should not return to Herod, they departed into their own country another way. And when they were departed, behold, the angel of the Lord appeareth to Joseph in a dream, saying, Arise and take the young child and his mother and flee into Egypt, and be thou there until I... Bring thee word, for Herod will seek the young child to destroy him. Verse 14, I'll stop again there tonight. When he arose, he took the young child and his mother by night and departed into Egypt. Father, I pray again tonight, Lord, again, there's so many thoughts that are on my heart and, Lord, in my head. And, Lord, again, I pray, God, you just help me to know and deliver that which is necessary to get where you want to go tonight. I thank you for what you have done this week. I thank you for your people and the attentive ear that they've had to the word. And Lord, I realize tonight if anything good is done, it'll not be done just the night of the meeting, God, but it'll be done in the days ahead. Lord, when that word has time to grow into something real. And Lord, we pray that it would continue to grow in the days ahead. Father, we thank you for loving us and giving us the opportunities you do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. We have spent our time this week, and, and I realize this, it is a faith promise missions meeting, and I, I'm, I'm aware of what they are, just I'm lousy at doing those. <laughs> Usually for the expectations that people have when I come in, and, and I realize that. Uh, but uh, tonight we're going to get to where uh, probably a lot of the emphasis has been leading up to this. He's already mentioned it tonight. I We've spent three nights trying to reset before we get to tonight to where we understand who the coordinator of all of this is. That we don't bypass when we see the needs of somebody that we just jump in and think, well, I'm going to meet that need my way. 
I don't want you to see me as a missionary and, and come up and just feel sorry for me and, and that's your motivation for what I do or you feel sorry for the people that I go to. And according to the Bible, it's a much deeper relationship with that. And, and so you need to really get a hold of God for God to be able to speak to you and give you proper direction for your life. Now, I, I tell, uh, sometimes you, you hear missionaries, and again, I'm not mocking, I'm not making fun of that. It's, it's just a characteristic of missionaries. Most of the time, they're going to come in, and one of the first things they're going to do, they're going to tell you about where they're going, and they're going to tell you about the need that they have for God. And I just say it this way, pick a place that don't need Him. We can assume that's the need. But what I want to know is what our involvement is in that need. What does God have me to do? What does he have me to be a part of? So we've just spent, he, he organizes the, the people of missions. He organizes the plans of missions. I don't have to figure all of that out. And he organizes the purpose of missions. Again, uh, and the main reason I need to know that is to lay aside my own purposes and let him establish the purposes. Because God will never be disappointed in establishing his purposes. But I've been disappointed in trying to establish my purposes. Baptist vocabulary of popular nature says something like this. I've never been disappointed in God. And I say if that's true for you, you haven't followed him very far. Because there's better men than me were disappointed in God. Peter was disappointed in God. John the Baptist was disappointed in God because there's going to be times he's not going to do it like you thought he would do it. Because he had a bigger purpose than what your was. He had a different plan than yours was. And therefore, you need to get connected to the God that establishes the purposes. Now, what I want to do tonight is turn around and I want to look at you and me. I want us to look at the agents of missions, those that God chooses. There's the missionary himself. We're certainly not we're going to really look at that tonight. We're just going to look at the supporter of missions, those that God is going to engage in uh, this work of missions that God gives. And I read the text there because, again, there's so many pictures in this. You've got the... the uh, wise men who are doing a mission but at the end of this thing they're actually going to become supporters of another mission that they had no clue about but God had a clue about he's going to do uh, Joseph and Mary what we're going to deal with tonight they're actually getting ready to head out on a mission they're, God's going to call them away from where they are to go somewhere else for a specific purpose and God's going to use the wise men to help supply that now, one of the things that I want you to know as an agent of being a supporter of missions, again, we've, we've thought in the financial realm and we're going to get into the financial realm, but what I'd like to see is that we become better people of God ourselves, better involved directly with the Lord because if we'll do that with our own life, see, sometimes if we're not careful as parents, we want our kids to be dedicated to the Lord, but at the same time, we're not dedicated ourselves. And sometimes we can say, well, that missionary needs to be dedicated, our pastor needs to be dedicated, but I'm just saying that you need to be as dedicated as everybody else is because that's, 
We, we are a body, and we are a body that works together. And if there's a, uh, if there's a portion out of function, then the body's not working right. And that's my heart with this mission is get the body back functioning properly because, uh, as we've said, when you've got missionaries that don't want to hear from their pastor and the pastor don't want to hear from missionaries and, and, and you've got churches that are supporting missions but don't have a clue where they are or what they're doing, I'm just saying there's something broke in the body that's not working right. And so tonight I, I want us to look that these wise men, their role of becoming a good mission supporters is that they are personally observant to God themselves. They're star watchers. Why are they watching the star? Because that's what God said is going to lead them to where they need to get to. They didn't just see the star and find the announcement that that God has, has, has had a son that's been born and he's been born a king. Now I've got the news. I'll get myself from here to there. I'll figure the way out. I, I'm a wise man. I, I know something about things and, I, and I'll find him myself. From the time that they leave where they are in the east, and again, we don't know what the time frame is, they're going to keep their eyes on what God has given them to have direction from this spot to that spot. The only time they're going to go without is when he hides the star, when he parks it and hides it to where they don't know where the child is so he can do what he does at Herod and they're not going to move, they're not going to take their own way they're going to park where they are until they get done with that then they're going to see the star again they're going to rejoice at it and then they're going to follow it to where Christ is I'm saying it'll help you if you know personally the will of God for your life there's a lot of people and I've even I've even dealt with this with a lot of pastors in the work that I do that I've asked them the question especially missionaries that may be struggling with where they are, what's the will of God for your life? And they go, I don't know. I've heard this said many times, and I've heard preachers say this, that the will of God is hard to know. That's not true at all. How come he said, if any man lack wisdom, let him ask of God? The will of God is not hard to know. He's not playing hide and seek. He's playing seek and find. That's the way God has designed this. Sometimes the will of God is not known because the will of God is not asked for and it could be you have a hint or you're afraid you might know what the will of God is and you're afraid to dedicate and ask fully what the will of God is for your life because you're afraid like I was, you're going to be in Africa in a mud hut with snakes. Anybody ever had that kind of feeling in your heart? You knew God wanted more out of you or you were afraid of what the more was see and when that happens in your life there's going to be something happens you quit looking at the star you quit going to the guide you quit praying like you were praying you quit reading like you were preaching you quit wrestling to the preaching like you were listening to the preaching because you're afraid he will say something to you If you're going to be a good mission supporter, you're going to have to be somebody that is connected to God. You're somebody that is an observer of the will of God. You're looking for it. Not just now. Because again, our nature is is that he'll get us started. That's the will. And then we'll run on our own trying to figure out how to accomplish the will. 
It's somebody that gets the will of God. God's called me to be a missionary. God's called me to come out west. God's called me to do the relief work for missionaries. And okay, I'll figure it all out. I'll try to get all my supporters in line. I'll try to get all the places in line. I'll figure out all that out and I'll make all that happen. And at the same time that I'm doing all of this stuff, I've lost sight of him. The wise men are going to be good supporters when they get there because they were willing to keep their eyes on God's direction when they left from here to there. Not only were they personally observant, they were willing to look for God. They were willing to watch. They were personally obedient to what they've heard. Any of you ever been in the place to where you wanted to know more before you left? I'd like to. We're going to make a commitment on a card and I'm going to write down a number and I'm going to do it. I'd like to know more. I'd like to know exactly how that works. Forget that. You just need to know what you're supposed to do now. See, they were personally obedient. When they got the star, when they got the news, they didn't just rejoice over the news and say, well, that's good to know. I believe I'll stay here. That's interesting. I've had a lot of people, you know, over the years they come and ask me questions. Might seem dumb questions, and a lot of times they are dumb questions. I used to say there's no such as a dumb question, and I heard some. <laughs> no, sir. <laughs> Not at all. Somebody asked me a question. They say, where did Cain get his wife? Well, he didn't write that in the Bible. So I'm not going to give you an answer. But I asked the question when I do. I said, if I give you the answer, what are you going to do with it? Is it going to change your life? Is it going to help you find direction? You see, a lot of times we come in here just with an idea to be fascinated, to be interested in what's going on, but we have no mind of collecting what God says to us and taking it with us and obeying what it says. See, before you work on the missionary out there, make sure that we work on our own heart, that we are personally obedient to what God would have us to do in everything. Because as a supporter of a a mission, I need the people that are supporting me to be connected with God. So when they pray, they not only know that they need to pray for me, they know what they need to pray for me, and they know how to care for me. And if they're not connected to God, if they're not dedicated to personal obedience to them, then I'm going to suffer down the road, and the people that I'm going to go to are going to suffer down the road because somebody back here is broke. I'm not talking about financially. I'm talking about spiritually. These wise men were somebody, they were dedicated to observing God. They were mad their mind on the one that was leading them. They're personally dedicated to obedience. They're going to go all the way. They're supporting by being where God would have them personally. The second part of that is tonight, and I said we'd get into the giving some tonight, is, is that they would give what God would have them to personally. Now the question comes, and again, I'd really never had this answered to me because I'd never really thought about it, but God used this text to give me, I guess, a better presentation of it than I've ever had before. Why do you give to missions? 
why would Benji come in here? Why would Brother Kevin come in here and maybe, maybe take him on and, and have already supported him? Why do we give them money? It might be you think because you don't want your tires to go flat or you don't want your kids to go sick or you don't want to have a heart attack or whatever because you've been trained that if you don't do that, something bad's going to happen. What do we give to missions? What to spread the gospel? But what, what, what are you talking about? What, what do we give? You see, the thing of it is, is that when a missionary is called by God to do certain tasks, it's going to create a need in his life for others to give in his direction so he can accomplish the will of God in his life. It's illustrated by Joseph and Mary here. I mentioned it just a little bit because what they're going to do is that Joseph, did, how many of you know what he was by nature, by, by trade? He was a carpenter, right? Now that's the way he provided for his family. And the guy, uh, God says that a man that uh, doesn't provide for his own family is, is worth an infidel. And he's somebody that's a carpenter. He's providing for his own family. He's got the means to be able to do that. But what's going to happen in Joseph's life in this text? Now again, the wise men don't know this. They've just been in touch with God. But they don't know this. But what's going to happen in this text right after the wise men come is God is going to come to Joseph and say, you're going to have to leave where you are and you're going to have to go where you're not familiar with and you're going to have to run and you're going have to hide for the next year or two because Herod is going to try to kill your child. And while he's running, while he's going there, while he's in hiding so somebody don't kill his child by the will of God, by the word of God, then he's not going to be able to make his means and meet the needs of his family to carry out the mission the way he normally does. That's not because he's lazy. It's triggered by the call of God. It was not his idea to quit his job and just go in hiding for a year or two. That was the word of God for his life. What can Joseph do but the will of God? Now he's going to have to flee. That sounds like you're going to have to be in a hurry. And so he's not going to be able to work his way there. He's not going to be able to, when he gets there, take some side jobs over here to be able to fund this because the very nature of what God has called him to do is put him in a place to where he can't get it by normal means of being a carpenter. And he's absent of these normal means because of the will of God. But there's one thing about that. While his Normal means of meeting his needs is not there. His normal needs are there. In other words, as I travel the country, it takes gas to get from here to there. It takes food to get from here to there. And, and even while I'm there, my house still has a meter on it that's going because I live in Wyoming. You've got to heat that thing in the wintertime. And I can go to the tax office and I can tell them I'm a missionary. And they're going to say, I don't care. And they'll come and take my place just like they'll take yours. When somebody goes and, and God calls him to the Arctic of Alaska, uh, it's not like there, there's a, a lot of factories around there and a, a lot of jobs maybe that they can go and, and they're going to have when, they, when you go up there. I don't know if any of you ever been to those villages up there, but I'm talking about before things went up, before inflation. A gallon of milk was $16 a gallon in the village up there. Those little cases of water that you buy so frequently at 
two bucks and something other at Walmart. $42 when I had to buy one up there one time. I'm just saying their everyday needs of life are still just as real as they were before God called them. The only thing that's happened is God's took away their normal means of meeting those needs. See, I can't, again, because of the nature of what God has called me to do, I can't get me a job, and I probably, you know, in these days probably could maybe, but I not do a good job while I'm here. I could get a job at Pizza Hut Deliver, you know, while I'm not preaching here, and I, next town I just get my, my address forwarded, whatever, and do that. But I can't go around and, and get a job in every town that I'm in for three or four days doing what I'm doing here, and then I'm going to be up in the Arctic and get me a little job up there to be able to support. And when the military, when we send them, I, I hope it's not the case. It may be getting that way these days that, that you don't have to get a side job to buy your bullets. The very nature of the call that you have or the very nature of the job that you have that somebody's going to have to supply those needs so you can meet the need that God has called you to meet. And the way God has chosen in this New Testament church age, the way he's chosen and he demonstrates it here in this text is he takes the treasures from somebody else and engages them to help meet the needs of the one who's been called to the mission. He's going, they're going to pull out their gold, their frankincense and myrrh, and that's going to help supply the needs that Joseph has to go where he is. And so God at the helm, he's going to begin to work in their life because all of these needs, and it's not just the, the needs that you have in normal life of just taking care of a family and meeting those needs. Then you're going to have the expense of doing the task that you've been called to do. You're starting a church somewhere. You're, you're, you're not going to have big offerings that you're going to rely on and, and there's going to be power bill that needs to be paid for the church or there's not going to be rent that needs to be paid for the church. There's going to be expenses with that and, uh, and different things that you're going to have to buy for the church and there's a cumulative things that do. And I'm just saying with the, the man himself that's being sent to that field, because of the nature of his work, he can't personally provide all that because he's doing the work of God. And so God is going to use... Others, according to the Bible, he's going to use their heart and he's going to speak to their life to get them involved as a body coming together to do the work of God collectively. In the text, it's illustrated that they open up. Understand, you got your Bibles, turn to 2 Corinthians chapter 9 verse 7. No, no, let's go here first. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Sorry about that. 1 Corinthians 10, 24. Here's what God gave me several years ago. He said, let no man seek what? His own wealth. But every man, another's wealth. What's the text say? What's my area of concentration as a missionary? Is it to come and try to get something from you this week? Now understand, the nature of missions as I've been taught, that's the perspective most missionaries have. 
When they call a church and they're coming to a church, they're coming to try to present their work and they have hopes of what? Getting support, right? And that's where I said, when you come in, when they come in, a lot of times, I'm not saying this of every man, most of the time, traditionally, they've got in mind of you taking them on support. They're going to tell you things that you'll take them on for support. And that's what you have in mind, that you're going to do that. The problem with that is, is that it teaches a mentality that when I go somewhere, I go to get. Now, God's called me to the work. Was it Joseph's responsibility to figure out how he's going to get to Egypt? That was God's. Because he's the one that does the planning. He's the one that does all of the things that we mentioned this week. So when I come here this week, I'm not trying to get a check from you because I'm not here to make me richer in your presence. I've come to help make you richer. See, that frees me with the opportunity that I can just come and Give you something from the Lord. And I don't have to worry when I leave whether I'm going to get a check or whether I'm going to get support or whether I'm going to get this because I didn't come for that. God called me into missions. God called me to do the work. God called me to go and relieve missionaries. God has called me to do exactly what I'm doing this week. And so I don't have to figure out how I'm going to make all that happen, how I'm going to get to the places. God did that. I was at C.T. Spear in New Mexico in a meeting. I didn't want a room with him. I was intimidated by rooming with him. My wife was intimidated by room. When we found that out, it was like, we'll be our own motel room because we got so much respect for him. But I had no idea that I'd be in New Mexico preaching a meeting and go up here to Buffalo in a meeting. And I preached. I, I was supposed to preach like 20 minutes. I preached like three minutes that morning when, when the, the time that he gave. Believe it or not, three minutes was all I preached. That was all the time they had left. But God brought C.T. Spear that I room with here up to Buffalo from him to Rapid City. And here I am tonight that we've got to share some things and do things this week because I've got a God that's able to do that that I don't have to figure that out. And thank God I can come in here and just share the word of God and have the freedom to preach. And if you like it, I hope you do. But if you don't, I can still go home because I'm not relying on you to get me where I'm going. I've got a God that's able to do that. I want missionaries to be able to have that. That when we come, we got in the mind of just unloading what God's give us to give you and get out of the mind of what you can give us. See, the wise men didn't go to get. They went to give. Now again, they're going to receive from Christ because you can't give in the direction of Christ and not receive something back. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Most of the time, in fact, about every time I've ever heard this verse quoted or read, it's when they're getting ready to take up the offering. <laughs> and I told you we'd get there this week. Watch verse 7. He said, Every man according as he purposeth in his what? Heart, so let him give. Not grudgingly or of necessity, for God loveth of what? Here's where they emphasize. And most of the time, 
they'll emphasize that word cheerful. And a lot of times they'll go back and grab a Greek word. Now, you can't read Greek, so you don't know whether he's right or not. Most of the time, he can't read Greek, so he don't know whether he's right or not. But it sounds good. That verse means hilarious. In other words, they're trying to get you in a mood, in a good mood, for they're getting ready to bring that offering plate around, send it up and down the aisle, and you're getting ready to put something in it. And it's at that moment they're trying to motivate you and say, God loveth a cheerful giver. There's only one thing they never told me over the years. How you do that? They've always told me I should. Just never told me how you do it. Give a little survey tonight. I'm not going to do this, so don't expect it. It's illustrative. Now, I've not met a lot of you, and I'm not shook a lot of your hands, and I'm not looking at you eyeball to eyeball. But if I said tonight, and I'm saying it tonight, but I'm not going to do it, so don't expect it to happen. <laughs> but let's say after service tonight, I've got a check for $10,000, and it's made out. And the name is blank, and at the end of service, I'm going to shake with somebody, and in their hand is going to go that $10,000 at the end of service. I promise you, you're going to shake my hand tonight. <laughs> Am I right? <laughs> I'm not doing it. But let's pretend that you're the one that gets to $10,000. Would it make church more exciting for you tonight? I can already tell it would. I'm not even doing it and you're already excited just thinking about the possibility that that guy may lie once in a while. It might actually happen after church. Can't do it. Don't have it. That's why I went with a number higher than I had in my bank. Amen. But let's say you're the one that gets the $10,000 after service. Would you know what to do? Do you think you'd be a cheerful receiver? Woo! I won. I won. I went to church tonight. I wasn't expecting nothing. I went home with $10,000. Boy, it would be full on Sunday after that. They'd be on Facebook. You'll never believe what happened to me tonight. At church, I got $10,000. Hallelujah, what a blessing it was. I wasn't expecting anything, and I went home with $10,000. We wouldn't know how to be a joyous receiver. Now the question is, how do you get that excited about you being the one that wrote the check? Because that's what the verse means. You're not that excited about getting it. You're that excited about giving it. Now, the thing of it is, I've learned not one of you naturally knows how to do that. That giving grudgingly, I know how to do that. But that giving cheerfully, I wasn't sure exactly how that worked. And no preacher had ever told me. How it works. But there's one key that's right in the early part of that verse. He said as a man, does what in his heart? Purposes in his heart. Now I want you to go back to the wise men. Did they, did they run home and get their treasures after they met Christ? We already talked about that, so you should pass this test. No, they had brought their treasures with them. 
So when they left home, they already had in mind they're going to give something to Christ. Am I right? Now there's a debate. If you read commentaries, and sometimes it gets in trouble, some of the commentaries say is that, that the emphasis of the text is on the emotion, that you want people to get emotional while they're given. Because if you don't get emotional when you're given, you might not give as much. And again, that goes back to uh, the, the, uh, uh, the, the way that uh, the starving children in Africa do. That's the way the, the abused dogs and cats, uh, they do. They get sad music. They get pitiful-looking dogs and cats. And they put them in cages and they beat them up and they do all that kind of stuff. And they'll put them in front of you and you'll go, I feel sorry for that dog. That ain't right. I mean, they'll get you mad, mad and sad over whales and seals and all other kind of things. They'll put the music behind it and you crying over things you don't even care about. Because when you get emotional, they think they can make you give. But I want to tell you, they're trying to trick you. Now, bless your heart if I don't get some tires flattened over this one now. But I can go to Walmart, and I had no in mind to buying Girl Scout cookies or supporting whatever organization is out in front of there. I got no mind whatsoever but a six-year-old girl or a five-year-old boy laying there, would you please buy my thing? You're going to buy it. <laughs> and you don't want it, right? How come? Because they're playing on your emotions. They ain't even said anything but buy it. But you know it. Well, you like a scoundrel. You, you, what a terrible man you are. Won't even buy a Girl Scout cookie and support the thing. And understanding given a lot of times, whether we realize it or not, that's the way we've treated church. We've emphasized the law of giving, but we haven't understood the grace of giving in the way he teaches us in the New Testament. See, if you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, if you'll do that, everything else will be right. If you don't do that, nothing else will be right. And it's the same way with giving. Whatever it is, I know this because he said it purposes in his heart. It's a planned event. Okay, that's why preachers, they don't know that they've messed up. They say that when you're getting ready to give the offering. If you ain't already planned by the time he's announcing we're getting ready to take up the offering, you're not going to be cheerful because it's a planned event. It's not a surprise event. In other words, you already have made up your mind before you get to church what you're going to give while you're at church. As a man purposes in his heart, so let him give. Now, he's handed you out these faith promise things, and he said he's not going to collect them. He doesn't want to know. But what that is, it's a blank sheet before you, and God's going to give you the opportunity to purpose in your heart to do something. You're going to have to plan it. You're going to have to think over it. You're going to have to maybe ask him what he would like to have. I think it's interesting to me that they show up, and it said that they opened up their treasures. They exposed everything that they had in the presence of God. And they laid it all. They're not trying to hide something over here. They're not trying to do something over there. They've laid it all open and say, Now, Lord, you gave it all to me. I, you're the source of everything that I have. Lord, what do you want of this back to go in that direction? Amen. 
I'm grateful for the offering you give this week. It's not a, anything that I ask for or anything that I look for. But I'm grateful for people that give. And I don't know what you give. So again, don't shoot me at the end of service. But most of the time, in the offering plate, that is most of the common denomination that goes in an offering plate when they're taking it up for somebody. How do you know? Because I used to pastor. And I've been a missionary for 13 years. I'm not against that. But most of the time, the reason this goes in is the same reason you buy Girl Scout cookies when you go into Walmart when you didn't want them. Because number one, they're taking something up, so if they go by and they're looking at me, I got to put something in. Wad it up, crinkle it up, don't let them know it's a one, but I threw something in. Definition of grudgingly or of necessity. See, again, sometimes as preachers are bad for that, we'll make you feel guilty for what you have and other people don't have. Do you understand what we're trying to do is propagate necessity? You should feel bad for what you have and feel bad for what they don't have, so give what you had. That's not cheerful. That's extortion. What God wants is that when you've purposed, you're actually through a thinking process. It's not an emotional decision that is the basis for what you do. Emotion's going to come. But wisdom is the basis for what you do. Now, here's the question I had to God. I said, Lord, I don't know how to do that. That's where my, all my, a lot of my conversations with the Bible is. He gives me a text and gets me in a situation, and I say, Lord, I don't know how to do that. Show me how to do that. You're going to have to teach me because I don't know how to do that. And, and so I remember I was probably, it was my first year into doing the work. I'd surrendered uh, uh, in 2009. This would have been February of 2010, and God took me to this text. And he said, it's time for you, you to learn this. And I didn't know what he wanted to do. But I, I remember... I'm, I'm saying, Lord, I don't know how to do this. I don't know how to be a cheerful giver. It's not that I hadn't loved giving and I hadn't had joy in giving before, but I didn't understand how this text worked. And I said, Lord, I want you to teach me. And I'm in a Bible conference down in North, North Carolina. And, uh, and I'm getting ready to go to, I mean, at the meeting that night, I'm sitting there, but it's before the meeting ever starts. I'm, I've got this text in my mind. Nobody else knows what's going on. And I'm thinking, Lord, I'm understanding that this thing of purpose, if whatever this verse means, it means I've done something on purpose. I'm not just doing it off the cuff. I'm not doing it haphazardly. I've made a personal decision, and what I'm getting ready to do, I've made a decision about. And so I open up my billfold. I'm sitting there in the, in the audience that night, and, and I, I look in there, and there's a five and a one. And I start having my conversation. And I said to myself, self, most people get the one. So we're going to be spiritual. I'm going to give the five. Keep the one. This is going on in my head. Nobody else knows what's happening. But then I said to myself, well, that one ain't much without the five. I'll just give them both. That's <laughs> so all I had in my billfold. It wasn't that I was broke. I had money at the bank. But I'm trying to apply the text. So you're not going to be good at it when you get started. Because you don't know what you're doing. But you got to start somewhere. That's the information that I had. Okay, I got a five and a one. And they come up, took the offering, and 
Angels didn't sing. I didn't have a new car when I got outside. It's just like any other night. I got up that next day, and, and, and they, they called on me to preach that morning, and I got up, and I would preached, and, and the Lord was very kind and helped me. And, and when I, I was leaving the service that day, there was a guy walked by me and shook my hand, and, and, and I felt something go in, and when I looked at it, it was a 20. And I thought, well, that's interesting. And we went out to eat that night before service, and I had two guys with me. And I thought, well, I'm going to buy their supper. I got this 20. I'm going to buy, buy their meal. And so I bought, I bought their meal. I bought my meal. And I didn't think nothing about it. I was just excited. I didn't have to go to the bank again. It wasn't that big a deal to me. And I got back to church that night. I thought, I'm still learning this text. I sat down in my seat. I opened up my, my, my billfold, and we we're going to have our conversation again. What are we going to give tonight? And I looked in my billfold, and there was a five and a one. I kid you not. Another five. And another one. And I started getting excited. You say, why? Because I just had my Elijah moment. I never had one of those. What do you mean Elijah moment? I had $6 last night. I give it all. Fed three people that day. Came back that night. Had $6 again. I'm getting educated. I'm learning something. You say, what did learning what you did? I didn't discuss the five and the one. I said, I'm ready to throw them both in and see what happens tonight. I wasn't cheerful last night, but what I've learned in the last 24 hours, I'm starting to get excited about what I'm about to do for the very first time. Then something strange happened. The pastor got up that night of that church, and it was a large congregation. I mean, it had been three or 400 people in the, in the meeting that night. He got up, and, and he said, now... I, I want to let y'all know tonight that the Lord's put in my heart that we're going to take up an offering tonight and, and whatever is collected is going to go to Brother Mike and the ministry that God's put him in. I didn't say that though. I'm depressed now. Because for the first time in my life, I'm excited about giving an offering. And they're taking it up for me. I am. Now, I know it's going to be a big offering, but I'm, I'm, I'm having a struggle with the Lord. I'm like, I was getting ready to put in another $6 to see what God did. And, and, and I'm excited. Last night I wasn't excited, but I'm learning a little bit. And I got excited. And I was waiting for the offering that night. I was excited about the offering play coming around. And now I'm not excited because if I put that in, everybody's just going to let me and go, yeah, I'd put money in too if I knew I was getting it. There's <laughs> a lot goes on up here. And I'm like, I'm at war. I'm wanting to put it in. I can't put it in. I'm wanting to put it in. And the Lord just said, you're so excited about it. Why don't you just go ahead and put it in? Hallelujah. I'll do that too. I don't know what I'm doing, but I was excited. And I, that's what he said. I'll just go ahead and throw it in. They took up the offering that night. And the preacher got back up in the pulpit. And this is what he said. Now, church, I didn't tell you before we took up the offering tonight. But before I took up the offering tonight, the Lord had already put on my heart that whatever goes into that offering tonight needs to be doubled by the church. Now that thousand some dollar offering is going to be two thousand some dollar offering, right? That wasn't what I was excited about. Because my six just became twelve. 
You hear me? Because I was willing to do what God would have me to do. That made me a cheerful giver. Because I got to take money and I got to put it in where God said put it. And I got to watch what God could do with what I gave him. And it caused me to rejoice. Not because I received something from it monetarily. But I got to watch what God could do with what I gave. And that's what made me cheerful. And so as we come this week. I realize you may be on the early side of things, okay? And if you're on the early side, you may argue with God. That's, that's what I did. I'll take you back to one earlier one, and I'll get ready to be done after this, as far as I know. But early on in my struggles over money, God was taking me through this walk of faith. And, and a lot of times he starts with money in your life because that's one of your biggest hang-ups. Because if you go far enough, you're going to figure out it, it ain't about money. But for you to start with, it'll feel like it's about money. This is one of my earlier dilemmas that I had. Again, God being willing. If you're just willing to talk to him about your struggles and let God teach you and be willing. You don't have to think right. You don't have to feel right about everything. Just let God be willing to grow you through those things. Now, I'm already a preacher. Okay, I'm already a pastor in a church. And I wasn't great with money. I'd already confessed that, I think, when the rainbow vacuum cleaner thing. When I first started pastoring, I had, I had about three kids when my wife quit work. And I think that year I, I brought in about $13,000 to raise me and my family on and do the things that, that God would give me to do. And, and our savings account at the time, we didn't have one in a bank. We had one in a jar on top of the dresser. And when times were good, you put in all the change that were from the good times. And when times got hard, you started going through the jar to help during the bad times. And, and you knew times were still good if there's quarters are still in there. Because it's not too bad. Get you, you know, five, six dollars worth of quarter. Go buy you a little bit of gas or go buy you a soda or something other. And pull up. Can I, you don't mind if I get rid of some of this change, do you? I'm going to carry it around my pocket. And, uh... <laughs> but I was at a time in life where all the quarters are gone and I'm down to nickels and dimes. And I'm just telling you, you load up dimes to go to the store. They know you're drinking. You're on drugs. You got, you got issues. <laughs> And I'm in Bible college at the time. And they're doing some work at the school, and I used to do some drywall work, and a guy had asked me, the, the dean of the school said, I'd like you to come down and help coordinate some of the work that's being done. And, and I, I couldn't tell him no. I didn't have the money, and so I actually got me a sandwich bag full of dimes, and I sacked them up, and I put them in my pocket. And I headed off for the next three or four days to go work. And I got down there, and nothing went like I wanted it to. People didn't show up that were supposed to show up. The only people that showed up weren't really able to do anything. And, and I ended up trying to do something by myself and I kind of hurt my back. And, and nothing had went the way I had hoped it would. And I thought, well, at least I can get some preaching. Because I was down in that area, a lot of good meetings and stuff. And I knew one guy was going to be preaching in this particular church. And I went to that church that night. And I drove up in the parking lot and it happened. War started on the inside. All I got is a sack of dimes. And I know sure as the world they're going to take up an offering for that preacher. I've done messed up. I should have left them in the room. I'm just, <laughs> I'm just honest with you. Talk about grudgingly. 
Now, nobody said anything to me, but I'm already going to war before I get in there trying to explain to God why he don't need my dimes. Because that's all I got. If I don't have my dimes, I'm, gonna have my, I'm not going to have any gas. I'm not going to have any food. So, Lord, I, I mean, they wouldn't help anybody else. They, they really wouldn't do anything. And, and we're in the church, and I'm still sitting there on the second pew from the front, and I'm still sitting there. All the service is going on, but I'm sitting there arguing with God about dimes. And the preacher got up that night. Somebody asked me several times, how do you, or several have over the years, how do you know God's voice? Does he really speak? Well, that night the preacher got up and the time came. He said, we're about to receive the offering for this man of God tonight. And he said, I want to let you know that every dime you give is going to go right to this man of God. I said, Lord, if you want them that bad, you can have them. (laughs) Now, nobody knew the war was going on on pew number two. But there was a war over dimes going on that night. So I'm just saying, it's it's not that I can't identify with some of the struggles that you're going to face when it comes to giving to God what he wants. Because it may have not felt like a lot to others, but in my heart at the time, it was all I had. And I want you to understand that it's going to be a time that that's what God's going to want from you is, is your all. Some people get hung up on 10%. I've never been a 10% preacher because I don't want 10% of God. I don't want God just giving me 10% of Him. I want to be all in and I want Him to be all in with me. But I've had to struggle with this flesh when those times come. I left that night and I started out the door. This was the first time this had actually ever happened in my life. There was an old man met me at the door. I don't know who he is today. Shook my hand. And the first time in my life, I felt something go in my hand. And I got to the car and I turned on the light and it was a $100 bill. And the Lord said, son, you could have went home with your dimes tonight if you'd have kept them. Or you can go home with things that you never expected if you'll just give me what I want. Because a lot of times you look at God when he's asking something from you that he's taking something from you. No, he's wanting to give you something. But it can't be given until you're willing to give and get that out of the way. I went home much richer that night, not just financially, but I went home that night richer spiritually because I was willing to take the teaching that he gave me. So I'm not wanting you to just put down some magic number on that card. I want you to have a conversation with God and ask him what he wants. Amen. You say, well, I don't know how that's going to work out. I don't know what the amount will be. It may be 10 dimes. I don't know what it would be. I just know this. He'll know what it is. And if you'll ask him, he'll tell you what it is. Amen. You say, what am I supposed to look for? Because I, a lot of times, again, I used to say this because I heard other people say this. You don't give to God expecting thing any return. That's true with the people. I'm not going to give him $10,000 and expect anything back from him. Biblically, that's right. Biblically, it's not right to give to God and not expect anything in return. In fact, Malachi teaches just the opposite. He said, you give to me and then you watch to see what I do with it. I'm not talking about playing him like the lottery. 
I'm talking about a design thing that he's given you to do, say, or give. And you're doing exactly what he said because he's asked you to do it. And then standing back and watching what God could do with it. My concluding thoughts tonight. You say, preacher, does that really work? I'm not saying everybody has to do everything. In fact, I don't think everybody has to do everything like I did as far as missions and those kind of things. I don't even teach that. What I want is a missionary to be able to get a hold of God and what they do is because they heard from God to do what they do. That's what I want from a church. I want a church to do what they do, not because they heard from a plan or a man, but because they heard from God, and that's where they got the origin of everything that they do when it comes to missions. God gave me a word last year. God's just given me to go where I'm supposed to go, do what I'm supposed to do, so I take no credit except going where he tells me to go, doing what he asked me to do. But last year alone, when he never let me call a preacher, never let me call a pastor, never let me ask anybody to ever ask me to come anywhere, Last year, God not only took all of our needs to do the job that we had, but we had fifty dollars to $60,000 come through our mission service to give to other missionaries for work projects and different things that they had, and we never asked anybody for any of it. How come? Because I've got a God that knows what we need. And he knows how to get it together. We had people I had never met. We had over around 100 people that stayed in our home last year coming for education. We had them as far from the Bahamas. People that I'd never met. People that had never met me. They'd never even heard of me. They didn't know anything about me. And here they are in my home. Because he's that good. He's just able to do a lot more than we give him credit for. And I'm saying we need to get him back to the place to where he's king and we're not. And we go to the king and have a conversation and say, Lord, we want to get serious about this thing of missions. But first, I'm going to have to make sure I'm serious in my own life. In my coming to church, in my, in my service to you, in my relationship with you, Lord, I want to make sure that's right. And Lord, if you want me to give, I don't know what it would be. It may be monetarily. It may be, as he said tonight, I, I'd never call anybody the missionary. Don't let anybody ever call you into the mission field but God. But if you know God's put in your heart and he said, I got something for you. And you know, because I knew. I denied it. I didn't like it, but I knew. If he's saying this, I'm saying this. On the back end of it, many years down the road, there is no better journey. There's no more scarier things at times. There's no more hurtful things at times. But there is no more blessed thing than being in the will of God and what he wants wherever that is. But I'm done. And I give you my heart. I've tried to give you the message God's given me. And I've tried to give the examples that God's used in my life. But my examples won't help you to live your life. You're going to have to go ahead and say, Lord, that's me. I struggle over dimes. I struggle over going. I struggle over this. If that's you, then ask God to help you in your struggles. Sometimes that's the first place to begin is not achieving it. It's just admitting where you really are. That's where I've always began with God. I had to get honest about where I really was. And when I get honest about God with where I really was, he's always been patient and kind to take me through the process and teach me what he wanted me to learn. And I want God to do the same thing for you. Father, well, this week's come and gone so quickly for me. It may not for them, but Lord, it's been such a, a blessed week for me. And I thank you for your patience and your kindness that you've had in my life. And, and Lord, I've done more fault confessing than I have bragging on anything, Lord, that I've accomplished because I 
of myself, I can't do any of it. But Lord, you have done some great things. And I'm glad to get to be a part of it, get to witness some of it. And Lord, I pray for you people here tonight. God, there may be somebody here tonight and this thing of missions may scare them to death because they're afraid. They're like I was sitting there. They're struggling over their dimes and their nickels and their dollars. And Lord, if I give that and I do that, we'll not have this or we'll not have that. And they look at you as that you're trying to take something from them. But Lord, I know you're the depths of your heart. You're not wanting them to give out of necessity or grudgingly. You're wanting to give out a relationship like those wise men did. They've just been in your presence. And they were willing to open up all of their treasures. They let you see everything that they had. And they made everything that they had available to you to give. And Lord, I pray you give that blessing to your folks here tonight. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we stand, Pastor.